Episode 41. This is the conclusion of The Strange Disappearance of John Whitey Burnett. Chapter 5. Spike, a bass player. Spike, not his real name, sits beside me at a bar. He has just come off stage. He pushes his long hair back from his face and grins at me. So you want to know about Whitey? Yes, specifically the night he vanished. That was a spectacularly fucked up night. He shakes his head and takes a deep swallow of the draft the bartender has placed in front of him. Yeah, I'd known Whitey for a couple of years before he vanished. We had uh, started talking about doing a record. He had some pretty good songs written, but uh, I don't know. He just gave up, stopped coming to the open stages, even pawned his guitar. It wasn't a great guitar, just a, uh, an old cheap Epiphone he had painted. Were you at Old Tom's that night? I sure as shit was. I was uh, sitting at one of the tables over from him. Saw him come in, knew right off. Things were different. He didn't say hi or nothing, just walked on past. I couldn't figure out how he got his old guitar back, but then I saw it was something else. Looked like a Kalamazoo. But it couldn't have been. This one was pretty badly beat up. A Kalamazoo? Yeah, it's one of those old guitars Robert Johnson played. You know who Robert Johnson is, right? Yes, I know about Robert Johnson. Whew! You had me worried there for a minute. Why is that? If you didn't know about Robert Johnson, you wouldn't be able to understand Whitey and what happened. Anyway, Whitey walked up past me, up to the host, and signed his name, then walked back, sat at the table. I watched him, trying to catch his eye. He didn't see me. Or at least he didn't respond. It was very weird. I didn't think about him much after that for a while. I watched the next couple of acts, then it all changed. Changed how? The air thickened. I mean, it thickened. It felt like people slowed down. It was like everything was in slow motion. I looked around to see if other people noticed, or if it was just me. Other people had noticed. Many people were looking around. I turned to look at Whitey. He sat still, just staring at the stage. That's when I saw him. Him? Yeah, the man leaning against the back wall. He was very handsome, dressed in a dark suit. He had one of those cowboy ties. What are they called? String tie. No, bolo tie, that's it. He had on a bolo tie with a silver skull, and there was a dog. I mean, a real live dog sitting beside him. Do you remember how many songs he sang? No, I don't remember. Eight, maybe ten. Don't remember. It's all kind of fuzzy. I know he played several songs, each more horrific than the last, except the last one. But I don't really remember. Actually, since that night, whenever I think about it, whenever I try to remember what happened, I get this headache. I mean, a real head splitter. Every time? Yeah, every time. It's terrible. I want to remember, I want to remember those fucking songs. They were powerful, and I want to play them. Play them? Yes. I know they would change my life. Songs that powerful could make me famous. Is that what you want, to be famous? He looks at me with a puzzled look. Doesn't everyone? Absolutely I want to be famous. What happened after Whitey played his last song? 
He stared at the audience for a long time. I watched him sitting there, holding his guitar. The audience seemed stunned. They sat still, blank-eyed and kind of vacant. He just sat there. Then he stood, dropped his guitar, and walked out of the bar. I watched him leave. I guess I was in shock or something. I just sat there. I didn't move. Just watched him go. Did you see what happened to the handsome man and the dog? No, I never saw him leave. I never saw either of them again. I've searched, but these headaches stopped me. Chapter 6. Abby was the server. She meets me in a park a couple of blocks from Old Tom's. Hi, Abby. Thanks for meeting me. Sure, no problem. What can you tell me about that night? Worst fucking night of my life. I had trouble working ever since, and I haven't worked at a restaurant since. That night changed everything for me. Can you tell me what happened? Sure. I remember being excited. That night started out great. We had a completely full house. I was making tips like crazy. I was running around, busy as hell, but it was good. I was thinking I could take a couple of days off. Then Dwayne walked in. You mean John. John Whitey Burnett. Huh. Yeah. John Whitey Burnett. Fuck. You know that wasn't his real name? Yes, I do. Well, John... She makes air quotes. ...came in, signed up, and sat near the back of an empty table. I was surprised he found a table, but it was like the table was waiting for him or something. People seemed to not see it or ignored it. I don't know. Anyway, he sat, and I went to get his order. He usually orders a beer, maybe two. But that night, he completely ignored me. It was as if I wasn't there. It was weird. But like I said, it was mad busy, and I didn't have time to worry about it. When did you notice John next? John? What I noticed next was the dude that walked in with a big fucking dog. I looked at Dave. He was working the bar. He just shrugged. I looked around and found Judy, the owner, and he just nodded. It's okay, and waved me off. Judy seemed thrilled. At that time, I thought it was because it was so busy, but I think it was because of something else. Something else? Yeah, I think Judy knew the dude with the dog. Knew him? Why do you think that? It was the way Judy hovered around the man. I never saw them talk, but Judy seemed to be very excited or nervous to see him. Like he was Judy's boss or something? His boss? Yeah, it was weird. The man never even looked at Judy, but I think Judy was a bit afraid of him. And that fucking dog, every time I looked over, it was looking at me. It was terrifying. What happened when John stepped on stage? I wasn't in the room at the time. I had slipped out to grab a smoke. When I came in, it was shocking. Everything had changed. Everyone was silent, just watching John on stage. I had never seen the room so quiet, and many of them were crying. I couldn't believe it. I'm not sure how many songs John had played at the time, but I had never seen so many people sobbing. It was like a funeral or something. I noticed the dude with the dog was smiling. There was a glitter in his eyes. He was really enjoying the music or maybe the response. Judy was around the corner watching the dude. He had an odd look on his face, kind of nervous happiness or excitement. I'm not sure. I never saw Judy like that before. Have you seen him react that way since? Ha, <laughs> no. I quit that day. I've never walked into the place since, and I have never seen Judy again. What happened after you saw Judy? Judy saw me and positively beamed. It was unnerving, actually. It was horrific. There was a ghoulishness to him, really repulsive. I looked away, and then I heard the music. It was terrible stuff. I've never heard anything like it. It made my heart hurt. Your heart hurt? Yes, it positively made my heart hurt. It was like all the hate in the world was poured into it. I felt crushed by it. 
I nearly fainted from what I heard. I had to lean against the wall to stop myself from falling over. I saw John on stage through a back tunnel. He was playing, his head down. When I looked away, I saw the dude against the wall with the dog, grinning an evil grin. What did you see? I don't know if I should tell you this, or if you'll even believe me, but I swear I saw something else when I looked at him. I saw a horrible face. Not a man's, but something else. Something so terrible, I have trouble even describing it. It was that face that made me quit work. I still see that face at night when I'm trying to sleep. It's why I have had such a hard time since that night. The face I saw was pure evil. It was the devil. I never want to see that face again. Chapter 7. Amrit was there by accident. David, the bartender that night, called me a week or so after we had spoken and said he remembered a woman who had come into the bar just before John Waddy Burnett started to play. He said he remembered her because she was in a foul temper, cursing and ordered a double scotch straight up, knocked it back with one swallow, then ordered another. He chuckled at the memory. He gave me all the info he could remember. I wasn't sure I could find someone with just a first name, but I reached out to a detective friend of mine, and he found her. I did not ask how. She had moved from the city, but agreed to a phone interview. Hi, Amrit. Thank you for agreeing to this interview. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure how much use I'm going to be, but like I said, I've never, I never went there before or since. I just went in to use the phone. It was a deeply shitty night. I'm sorry, can you tell me what happened? My car got towed. I only stopped in to, like, use the phone. The bartender said you had a drink. Yeah, (laughs) like I said, I wasn't having a good night. Because your car was towed? No. Well, yeah, that was part of it. I just needed a drink. I had a major blowout with my girlfriend. It was the worst. In fact, we broke up that night. I spent hours screaming... Then I went down, and my car was gone. I'm sorry. Yeah, me too. Anyway, I'm not really sure how to say this. I got there, and yes, I had a drink. Actually, I had a couple. And then this guy walks in, and I shivered like I got a chill, like I had a fever or something. It ran up my spine, and my hand shook so bad, I spilled my drink. Had you seen him before? The guy that walked in? No, hell no. I couldn't recognize him now. If he walked in now, I wouldn't know him. When he walked past me, I nearly passed out. Like I stopped breathing. You know when the edges of your sight narrow and get black? That's what it was like. My heart was racing. I must have looked bad, because as soon as the guy passed, the bartender touched my hand and asked me if I was okay. And I flinched when he touched my hand. I broke into a sweat. I remember I got instantly angry, Then this fucking dog walks up to me, sits and just looks at me with these fucking eyes. Was the dog with the man who walked in? How the fuck would I know? Look, I gotta go. Just two more questions. Okay, fine. What? Did you hear any of the music that night? Music? Yeah, it started after a few minutes, I think. I'm not sure. The fucking dog stared at me for like a minute and then sniffed me. I swear it seemed like it winked at me before it walked into the back room. 
that dog really bothered me. Not just because it was a freaky looking dog, but because he seemed to know me. Like it really knew me. Knew who I was right to the core. I felt super exposed. I was embarrassed. Anyway, like I'm really not feeling well. That night made me question everything. I wasn't the cheeriest person for sure, but after that, I had to have serious therapy, and I still don't sleep well. Some nights are okay, others, fuck, I end up curled in the dark, crying till the sun comes up. You know what? I can't. I just can't. The phone went dead. Chapter 8. Marie was in the audience. The young woman that sits across from me is beautiful and very young. She has agreed to speak with me after several calls. She is very reluctant. Thank you for agreeing to speak to me. Can you tell me about that night? I'm not happy remembering that night. I've endured a lot of therapy surrounding that fucking night. I don't want to be here. But... You're very persistent. Yes, I was there. My mom was playing, or at least she was going to play. She took me to a lot of these open mics. It was fun. She liked the music most of the time, and I loved seeing her on stage. She was so happy singing her songs, but they often went late, and she would find a corner for me to sleep until it was time to go home. Is that what happened that night? Yes. I had watched a few of the acts, but it was a busy night and we hadn't got there early enough for her to get on the list. She wanted to stay for the music. She was excited. She said the room felt different. Beside the stage, where the guitar players left the guitar cases, was a bench. My mom took me to the sleep. She was seated at a table, almost right beside where I was sleeping. I went to sleep. When I woke up, the room had really changed. At first, I couldn't make out what was happening. The audience was frozen, like they were hypnotized or something. They stared straight at the stage, like unblinking. They were crying. I looked at my mom and she was the same. I called her, but she couldn't hear me. That's when I saw the devil. The devil? Yes. I saw him. I was the only one not looking at the stage and leaning against the back wall was a tall man in a suit and he was smiling. He looked like a man, but he wasn't. I watched him. He was surrounded by cobwebs, dark, thin lines that stretched out in every direction, touching each person in the audience, tugging at their minds, their hearts, and with each note, the threads thickened. They wrapped around each person in loops of dark. The song ended and the man's smile was a terrible thing. He was on the brink of laughing when another song began. 
And this song was different. It touched the air with hope and love. The dark webs blew apart like smoke. They crumbled into wisps that floated away and the man's smile it froze. His smile withered. The tendrils of black swirled around him and him and his dog, they were gone. What happened next? Well, the audience seemed to wake. They slowly regained their senses. I saw my mom look around, confused, and she saw me. The man on the stage stood. Everyone looked at him, and he dropped his guitar and walked out to the bar. My mom came to me and asked if I was okay. <laughs> we left the bar. My mom stopped going to those open mics. She was never the same again. Something died in her that night. And three years later, she did die. I've never forgotten the man in his dark web. I know what I saw. The devil is real. Conclusion. There was a ninth interview, however the subject refused to be recorded. His rendition of the events of that evening is very much in line with the rest of the interviews. John had a different guitar that night, a guitar that changed over the course of the evening. There was a man at the back of the room with an odd dog, a dog that scared more than one person. John played 12 or 13 songs. They were original, no one has heard them before, and no one can seem to recall them with any accuracy. All the songs seem to elicit a visceral response from everyone. The last one seems to be the most powerful, but again, no one can recall it. At the end, there was some problem with John's guitar, whether it was as simple as a broken string or that the guitar shattered like glass is very unclear. And that John left around the same time as the man at the back. One additional detail that did come from the last interview that none of the others reported was that the man at the back smiled the whole time except for the last song. The individual I spoke to claimed he saw the man wipe away a tear. Then there was a shift in the man's features, like a movie special effect, almost like the man's face melted for a second. I had hoped to find some conclusion, to find a definitive answer to what happened that night and maybe a clue to what ultimately happened with John Wade Burnett. After meeting these people and hearing their stories, I cannot honestly say that I know what happened. I know the facts. I know Dwayne styled himself as a blues player. He named himself John Whitey Burnett. He was obsessed with the Robert Johnson story. Somehow, he became convinced that if he could wake the devil, he could make a deal and become a blues legend. He spoke of his dream to anyone, it seemed, who would listen. There is no conclusive proof he succeeded. It would be impossible to prove that the devil showed up to listen to John Whitey Burnett. So we're left with more questions than answers. Speculation that his obsession led to some sort of psychic break that created a form of mass hypnosis. Other theories include 
there was a form of LSD in the beer taps that night produced from unclean hoses, or it was added to the beer itself as a joke or as an elaborate hoax. Recently, rumors have spread that John Whitey Burnett has been seen in various clubs to the west of the city. I have attempted to follow up on as many as I could. In all of them, I found some evidence that there was a man on stage that resembled John Whitey Burnett, but not enough for me to definitively say he was there. Ultimately, I cannot honestly say I know what happened. I know the facts, but even they are suspect. Recently, several notebooks surfaced on eBay claiming to be John Whitey Burnett's. How they were obtained seemed to be suspect. When questioned, the seller of these books was vague about how he had come by them and refused to be interviewed. However, he agreed to have them authenticated. It took several months of research, but it appears that John slash Dwayne did indeed own these books. And it is certain that the contents are his. We will publish, for the very first time, some of the sketches produced by John Marty Burnett, Dwayne Marsh, leading up to that evening. This wraps Season 1 of Stories from a Hard Place. We'll be back on January 4th with Season 2. Dave Knox was Ryan, the host. Laura Fernandez was anonymous. Noah Zacharin was Bradley, a songwriter. Julian Kent was David, the bartender. Matt Byrne was Spike, a bass player. Mercedes Jacobson was Abby, the server. Am was Amrit. And Maite Jacobson was Maria. Thank you to all my friends and family who have been so supportive on this journey. Without their love and support, none of this would have been possible. Particularly Noah Zacharin, Jeff Besner, and Ken Cade. Their advice and assistance with the audio was invaluable. Opening music by Noah Zacharin. Production copyright by R.A. Jacobson 2021. If you'd like to support Stories from a Hard Place, please go to patreon.com forward slash hard place. If you'd like a book version, either ebook or print, you can find it on Amazon. You can find links to all this and much more at Deadcat Studio. That's deadcatstud.io. Keep the shiny side up.